this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, recently there was a vote. Did you know that? Unfortunately, yeah, I do know that. Jay, I'm not talking about that vote. I'm talking about our vote at Patreon. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that vote. That vote. Jay, the much more important oh. vote. Whatever you've heard out there, this is the vote that matters. We put it up to our Patreon subscribers. We said, November, you're going to pick our review from 1996 November, going back 20 years. We gave them four albums, Jay, to pick from. And they chose Presidents of the United States of America, Album 2. How ironic, Jay, uh, is that? So, so fun. Actually, it was a tie. And I had to go to what in the um, election fan or nerd uh, community call instant runoff voting. Which is where, or uh, ranked voting, which is basically you don't just vote for one, it's not winner take all. You allow people to rank their choices based on their preference. And that way, if their first vote gets uh, less than the majority, you then go to their second vote, and that becomes their primary pick. So, President of the United States of America was tied with Bell and Sebastian. For their album, um, If You're Feeling Sinister, they both had three votes. However, in terms of ranking what was best for the podcast, Presidents got one extra number one vote and Bell was a number two vote. So Presidents, in, in lieu of that ranked vote, ended up becoming our choice for this week. So See, everything here is objective. Yeah. Very, yeah, very scientific. We put it out there for people. And if you want to read more about instant runoff voting, I uh, <laughs> encourage you to go to the Wikipedia. It's a very interesting way to vote. It's uh, Actually, they adopted it, I think, in the state of Maine, Jay. That's that's how they're doing it. Or, um, that was part of the last election was they were voting whether or not to start that. Because it's been going on in cities, but it has never been applied to a state overall. So I think it was Maine. It was a state that starts with an M. Maine or Maryland Michigan? or Michigan or Montana or one of those states. Moo Nork. California. <laughs> yeah, Malifornia. Uh The other ones that did not uh, get three votes. Nex- Nexus. <laughs> were uh, Tricky's Pre-Millennium Tension, which I am a fan of that record, actually, quite a bit. And then Johnny Cash's... <laughs> yeah, okay. Johnny Cash's... Uh, <laughs> Cash album, which he did with Rick uh, Rubin. I was pulling for that one. Yeah. That would be an interesting one. We might get to that at some point. But uh, we're doing Presidents of the United States of America. A bit of serendipity there. Their album number two was their second full-length release, Jay. Um, official full-length. We'll get into what I mean by that in a moment. But um, I did want to point out that uh, I, I need to... The tiebreaker was thanks to... Keith Sawyer, and we've mentioned before that Keith over at Patreon uses interesting pseudonyms from week to week. And during this particular week, his pseudonym was Clark Qui-Gon Gillis. So 
for those of you who are Star Wars nerds, you know that Qui-Gon was a character from the prequels, played by Liam Neeson. Clark mm-hmm. Gillies, I bet Keith didn't think I would know this, but Clark Gillies is a hockey player uh, in the uh, 70s and 80s. He spent his last couple years with the Sabres of Buffalo, which is how I know who he is. He spent the, the majority of Buffalo. The Sabres of Buffalo. Uh, he spent the majority of his career with the Islanders, uh, but he was a, uh, a forward. I, it was like the mid to late 80s that he played for the Sabres, and that's when I just started going to games with my dad in the... Uh, at the old uh, auditorium in Buffalo to see uh, Clark and the boys uh, come in second place to the Bruins and the Canadians every year. So, uh, nice one, Keith. Uh, also need to thank uh, Stephen, Kim, Eric, and Scott for chiming in with their votes on this episode. So, Jay, you and I, we're both familiar with uh, the Presidents of the United States of America. I'm just going to refer to them as the Presidents. So I don't have to say President of the United States of America every time. Yes, not a again, not a, a great name for Google. No, not a great name. <laughs> you Other, have to type all that and the word "band." Yeah, they also go by PUSA or Pot yeah. USA. We're gonna go with the presidents. Clever. Uh, so Jay, just give me a little bit. First album, everybody knows. It's the one that has Lump. It's the one that has Peaches. Did you own it? Did you like it? Were you a fan of those songs and and the band? Or was that something that you ignored? Uh, You couldn't ignore it. I mean, goodness, it was everywhere you went. It felt like there was a billion singles from that record. And then they also, I don't know, I feel like they were on TV a lot for some reason. I, I don't know. They were a very odd band for the time. I remember that. Never seemed not uh, not really like anybody else, which was right. kind of cool. Um, they were definitely had a sense of humor, which you didn't see very much, and up until that point, had a kind of a quirky sound. We'll get into on this record because it's very much still there. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely remember them standing out, being on the radio a ton, having quite a bit of attention. I mean, but not not what you would expect, right? I guess and they were Seattle band, right? Yeah. So let's get into a little yeah. bit of history on pre- the president's history of the band. Formed in Seattle, Washington, 1993, the group was vocalist and uh, bass artist. We'll get into why that's a bass artist. Chris Ballou, uh, drummer and vocalist Jason Finn, and um, get bassist and vocalist. Andrew McKeague, they, um, and then uh, from, when was it? Uh, so David, well, the original guitar was uh, David DeDurer from 93 to 2005, and then Andrew replaced him on uh, guitar in 2005, so... That was, that was the lineup up until this year with Chris, Andrew, and Jason. They actually broke up this year uh, with um, Chris stating that they actually had broken up last year and just didn't tell anybody. And the reason why is because we're old people now. It was the quote why, he, why they broke up. Makes sense. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So formed in 93, they started out as a duo with uh, Baloo and the Durer uh, together 
Uh, they were known as the Lo-Fi's, the Dynamic Duo, Duo, Pure Frosting, and then they settled on uh, Presidents as the final name of the band. Um, and then they brought in Jason Finn, who had been the drummer in Love Battery, which was a band that was on Sub Pop and A&M's uh, subsidiary Atlas. So they recorded a 10-song cassette in 1994 called Froggy Style. And that was their first official release, which is why I talking about what was the first what was the second album so they did have a, an independent release on cassette that they were they sold at shows and that sort of thing uh they ended up signing to pop llama records and putting out uh, a seven inch um on cz records and so the original album which was self-titled had the singles lump and peaches came out of pop llama um got a little bit of press and ended up getting picked up by Columbia Records for re-release. They make some videos and then release Lump and Peaches nationwide, and the album ends up going triple platinum. So the follow-up album, which we're reviewing, number two, came out in 96. Didn't sell as well. It only went gold. So this is this would, would have been a qualifier for a sophomore slump based on album sales. It went from triple platinum to gold. Yeah, uh, but it didn't make our two, one of our two options for uh, sophomore slump. Um, so they toured throughout 96, 97 in support of the album. Uh, in 96, they played a live concert at the Mount, at Mount Rushmore on President's Day, which is a pretty good uh, promotional tool. They released in 1990, excuse me, in 2000, the album Freaked Out and Small. So... It was originally they were they had actually broken up at this point and they were kind of doing other things. Um, they had worked with Sir Mix a lot uh, on a in a band called Subset, but they got back together to record a single on and, and Jay, you'll appreciate this an early internet record label called Music Biz or Music Blitz that was a digital music player as well as a label. <laughs> oh, and this was in two thousand, so you can imagine the quality of the audio stream. In 2000, so they were originally just did a single, and then the single went well. So they, the label said, "Why don't you do an album?" They did "Freaked Out and Small." They sold 25,000 copies. They didn't tour, and then the label went bankrupt, which I think about 500 internet-only labels uh, in around 1998 to 2004 probably all went bankrupt around that time. Right. Um, yeah, and then, and then uh, what? Uh, Ten years later or more. Uh, Neil Young thought it would be a good idea to do the same idea concept again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a music service with a player that distributes music. Yeah. Who would want that? Uh, in 2004, they released the album Love Everybody. That was, uh, they ended up forming their own label called Pusa Inc. And um, releasing that on their own. And then that's when. Um, uh, around that time is when Andrew McKeague left and was replaced. Excuse me. Dave Deirdre left and was replaced by Andrew McKeague. Uh, they recorded, uh, these are the good times people in 2008. And then in 2000, oh, what was it? 12. Nine? No, sorry. 2013. They did a pledge music campaign for their final, what would end up being their final album. Kudos to you, which was released in February 2014, and then they also released a live album, Thanks for the Feedback, 
and um, that's it. They broke up, like they said, 2015, but didn't announce it until 2016. So that's the history of presidents of the United States of America. Let's talk about their second album, Jay. Two. Jay, tell me one thing that you liked about this record. So, I mean, I, I was going to say when you asked me what I remember about the band, um, I've always been fascinated with their sound. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got the two guitar, guitar, bass, gar, whatever they call them. Basically, I, I, guitars modified. To I can play explain bass. the exact setup if you'd like to know. Okay, do it. Let's hear so, it. So, Chris Ballou has a. They both play guitars, six string guitars. However, yep. Chris Ballou has removed all the strings and he plays with. They're tuned down to C, right? Top yeah, two strings. Yeah, they're tuned down to C sharp. Um, he plays with two strings on the D, at the D and the G position. Yep. Um, and then the other guitar is actually guitar strings, and they are placed in the A, D, and G positions. Um, and I, I won't get into the gauges. That's Nobody cares about yep. that. Uh, but basically, they're both playing guitars, but with the gauges of the strings are, are odd for guitars. Yep. And it's uh, similar to what uh, what Local H does and what uh, Borfine does. And right. It was kind of a thing in the 90s. I don't know why, but... So part of me, like, appreciates that and finds that interesting it does make for a unique sound um Mm -hmm. and then the drum sound is weird and i can't i I didn't go back and look at any videos but i remember like for some reason it's i don't know if you played like a tiny kit or something but the drums certainly sound small like the the cymbal hits are like like there's nothing like really very bombastic about anything it's very Right. Um, small sounding, but still, I don't know, kind of still works, I guess, because it's warm and defined. And the the songs are pretty well written from a kind of a fun pop standpoint. Um, so I just I overall just found their whole like sound and how they put it together and the instruments they played to be um, interesting. Uh, definitely stood out. And I think at times it can be to good effect. So I, I enjoyed hearing that on the record. It's produced really well. I think they definitely, um, more successfully, sometimes more successful than others, try to extend the sound of the band on this record beyond just, you know, straight up two minute pop songs. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, from, I think it it starts to show some of the liabilities in, in the, in the uh, very specific sound they have, you know, mm-hmm. things they can do, pull off and things that maybe they can't pull off. Um, so from that standpoint, I just liked, I just liked it sonically. I thought it, it's kind of a very, still a pretty unique sounding band. And yeah, I'm just uh, fascinated with how they put it together. Yeah. I think when I went back and listened to this, I had really no expectation of it being, anything beyond sort of like these quirky little two and a half, three minute long songs that were reminiscent of some of the stuff that I didn't really care for from the nineties, which was like, they might be giants and ween and, um, you know, some bands that have like a sense of not just humor, but like 
like kind of a a weirdness that I just it doesn't translate well for me. Um, but yeah. what I actually think I caught this time around was um, yeah, there's some quirky weirdness like you know um, one of the tracks uh, which is um, Tiki God track eight. You know, there's this whole st- there's this stuff about the Brady Bunch and which one is it? Bobby finding the Tiki God or yeah, yeah, and, and you know that's goofy. songs like Mach 5, Volcano, and Lunatic to Love, they really show off like an understanding of like pop songwriting that like Lunatic to Love, you think it's going in one direction as a song and then it changes directions and they're able to do a lot in under three minutes that I don't think Mm -hmm. most, even a lot of pop bands that are doing like even like I guess you'd say like for rock music like power pop or, or what have you like that don't pull off really well that yeah they're hindered a little bit because the instruments are more restricted so there's not as much sonic range in them but just in terms of song structure and dynamics and melodies like they hit it out of the park more often than they don't um on those particular song like uh, a good example of like being fun but not silly is like tube amplifier i really like that song even though they spell tube T O O B, but Drown. I liked, yeah, that that was kind of, yeah, that's kind of dumb. But <laughs> but I liked the song. I thought the song was fun. I liked the fact that you know basically it's about how cool it is to get a tube amplifier, and then uh, they let the drummer <laughs> sing a verse and talk about how cool it is to get symbols from what was it Sabian? Is that the yeah. I, I like that. I appreciated that there, it was a bit goofy, but not in this, like, I guess, I feel like in some sense, like, the th- thing I didn't get with, like, Ween, I, I never understood with that band. It seemed like a very, like, insular, like, inside joke kind of humor that I didn't yeah. get, whereas I feel like the presidents do it in a more, I guess, um, open way, where, yeah, it's goofy, and Maybe I don't want to hear a whole album of it, but for a couple songs, I can kind of appreciate the goofiness. Yeah, I can too. What's funny is that uh, my note on that album, or I'm sorry, on that song, so that's track 11 on the record. Um, mm-hmm. And my note on that that song is, it's clear they're out of ideas at this point. <laughs> so I, I think one of the things that wears thin on for me with this band is you start to understand kind of the way they write songs which is i think a big part of it is at least to fill out a record it seems to be you just look at something any object or thing 
and then just start thinking of metaphors for it or just R- writing a story around it. Just write a story around it. So mm-hmm. a tube amplifier, a supermodel, little puffy shoes, a frog, a tiki god. You know, you just kind of just riff. I mean, you could just sit in your room and look at crap and say, you know, tape measure. What would I, what would I write about a tape measure? Uh, let's see. <laughs> like, let your imagination run wild. So once you start to pick up on that, it, it starts to get a little uh, tired after four or five songs of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so by that point in the record, I was like, okay, like it's kind of cute, but at the same point, I'm like, yeah, they got an, they looked at their equipment and wrote a song. <laughs> it's, so this is a band. It's, I, it's got to be in short little doses for it to work. I mean, again, I feel like well, I'm a bit of a broken record in some of the recent reviews we've done, but the record starts off solid. I mean, I think yeah, tracks one through four. Um, I mean, those are all quality, fun pop rock songs. At times, they even approach, you know, kind of a cheap trick, maybe even like a Who energy on the first song where they're, you know, playing with dynamics and, you know, building things up and, you know, yep. kind of big dramatic hits and shifts. And that was kind of a cool change that I didn't expect to hear from them. And Lunatic to Love and Volcano are very much in their, I think, comfort zone. What you heard from the first record, then in Mach 5 is just probably one of the better, um, you know, high energy, just fuzzy rock songs. Um, but then after that, things start to turn left and right, you know, and they, they get into playing some jazzy stuff and loungy stuff. And um, I actually like Bath of Fire. They get a little like, twangy um there's just yeah. something about the way that those guitar that guitar bass setup sounds when you play something like that it just it's it's um uh, it's got that twang but it's still like meaty you know it's got a lot of mid so it just it just when they try to pull down the energy i thought that was a good place for them to go as opposed to something like froggy where it's jazzy and almost like rockabilly minus the kind of bite goofy lyrics that i don't know like almost sounds like a kid's song well jay i don't know if you know this but uh chris Ballou actually has a side project doing kids music yeah well clearly <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all no so i don't know i think um th- this works in in short doses i actually like when they jam too um so towards the end of the record um Puffy Little Shoes and uh, Beginning of Ladies and Gentlemen have extended jam parts that were actually, I don't tend to like that on records, but I think for them it was, if you're going to go long and indulge a little bit, you know, it's a good mm-hmm. way for to do it because they bring in some piano and just just turn the volume up. I think that that's sort of the last critique I have on the record is there's, 
there's a couple times where I, I took notes. It, it just, it's like too quiet. Like the vocal is very present and up front. Yeah. And I'm just wanting so bad to like, I don't know, hear more, hear the guitars like more in your face or hear the drums be bigger or just something to really, I don't know, be louder and more, a little bit more aggressive, not a ton more, but just a little bit more. Um, I, I think some of these songs would come across with a lot uh, more convincing um, as it is sort of the humor with a bit of a restrained kind of small sound just doesn't quite work. I wish the humor was accompanied by a little more bombast, I guess, or, or um, meaty kind of tone. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's my sort of last, last want for this record. Well, you know, you brought up a little bit earlier about where this band came from and like how they just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, if you think mm-hmm. about 95, you know, we're four years into the quote unquote, the grunge sound of the nineties. And, you know, we're already starting to see the imitators and, and the, the second wave of bands. And I feel like th- these guys, 96 is where it kind of exploded and like anything was coming out and, you know, everything and anything was, was hitting the radio um, I yeah. kind of feel like this is one of the bands that was at the, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have my facts wrong on this, but I feel like Presidents were one of the earlier bands in terms of like, oh, you don't have to, to have a drop D, you know, guitar and sing like Chris Cornell or or Eddie Vedder or Scott Weiland or or Lane Staley. Like you can you can do these like weird, you know, pop songs that. Mm. Uh, have a bit of grit to them because you know even though lump and peaches are sort of these little pop concoctions um i remember lump being pretty like dirty guitar wise it's not like it's a it's not like it's a shimmery pop song in terms of the production and what it sounds like. oh yeah yeah and there's a lot of fuzz on this record but it's just weird it's like it's kind of just turned down a little bit right like I'm gonna reach in and just grab a knob and crank it, but yeah, I think I, that's the timeline I have in my head too. I mean, uh, when I think of when the shift happened, I think of this band, I think of No Doubt, and I actually think of Sponge a little bit, like those three bands kind of hitting and radio very much pivoting to this whole new, you know, post grunge era. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like you know, '95 is like when the the darkness and you know if you want to say self-seriousness of grunge starts to get bent in towards more of the light you know you have like better than ezra and jewel and radiohead's the bends comes out that year and that's the that's the year of a boy named goo so like there's definitely like pop rock is sort of making a comeback or mm. or making its presence felt you get Matthew Sweet's 100% fun, which obviously is ironic, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, there's, mm-hmm. It's just like there are these albums that are breaking through there. They're still guitar based. They're still, you know, writing rock songs, essentially, but they're just not as dark and they're not as foreboding as some of the stuff 
that would uh, come out before that. You know, you know, Down on the Upside comes out in 96. Even, I think that by that point, Soundgarden had, like, lightened up a little bit and were writing less dark songs. And Yeah, I mean, I think they're, it was still very much alternative. I think this band is a pretty classic alternative pop sound, um, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think a lot of the bands you mentioned very much represent that type of sound. So it went away from more of a, I guess, a metal punk a uh, garagey kind of thing to to alternative pop, and then metal kind of reemerged again as something obviously much different. So yeah, I, I very much think of this band as being represent representational at that time. So we mentioned that you know the, the first album came out in '95. This one came out pretty quickly. You know, one year later in '96. Uh, it did not do as well. It sold roughly not even one sixth, I guess. It sold about five hundred thousand. The other one sold three million. I don't recall any major singles off of this record. Do you? Do you remember hearing? I, I, well, yeah, I do recognize. I recognized uh, Volcano. I think Volcano and Lunatic to Love both sounded familiar to me. Um. Well, Mach 5 was the lead single. Okay. I mean, that one sounded familiar, but I just thought it might be because it was just such a well-written hooky song. What's interesting is that the second single was a song called Supersonics, <laughs> which was a rewritten version of Supermodel uh, written about the Seattle Supersonics because they were in the 96 NBA Finals. Oh, Okay. And then the Volcano was the third single, and Tiki God was the fourth single. Mach 5 was the only one that charted and made it to number 11 on their Modern Rock Billboard. And uh, the album overall made it to number 31 on the Billboard 200. Do you think that maybe... I'm, I'm trying to think of like why exactly this album wouldn't do as well. Obviously, nine, you know, 95 to 96, it's not a huge shift musically, but... Is, it, is there yeah. lacking the singles that the first album has? Well, I think this is where the the real sophomore slumps start, right? I mean, because I think you can make the argument that Nirvana's second album, obviously, like all the big bands, didn't have sophomore slumps, but there was the second half of the decade where it seemed like everybody did, with a couple of exceptions. So, I don't know. I think this was also the peak of. Uh, signings, right? I mean, this is when mm-hmm. everybody was getting a deal, and it was there was no seemed to be no commitment to anything. It was just throw as much as you could at the radio. And if it stuck, it's you pushed it, and if it didn't, you moved on. And while I, I, I haven't I haven't heard the first record, you know, it's possible that just the first one was stronger from songwriting standpoint. They kind of captured their best material with that one, and then this was. Um, you know, just didn't have the the big hit or the consistency. Um, or it could have just been a matter of the first one just got pushed a lot harder and he caught on quicker and just rode a wave and that's that didn't happen with this one. And basically that's the story of the nineteen ninety-five to really till now. <laughs> like throw it at the wall, it doesn't stick, move on. A couple of the songs I think uh, three of the songs 
um, were actually from their original cassette that they released back uh, before the debut album. So I'm wondering if maybe they were a little short on material going into the studio to follow up yeah. uh, the big hit album, and they had to go dip back and you know, re-record some older songs. Because Lunatic to Love, Lip, which is abbreviation for Little Indian Princess, and Puffy Little Shoes were all um, re-records. Twig was a re-record. It's actually four songs. That was a B-side to Lump. So, well, the other thing to think about with this band, too, is that, I mean, what does a president of the United States of America fan look like? You know? I mean, how passionate could you possibly get about this band in terms of, you know, supporting record after record after record? Well, you know, every every band that has some sort of success has some sort of dedicated hardcore fan base. Yeah, but I think a lot of the sophomore slump or the bands that don't really ever get past that first record they don't like they don't get that whatever that deeper connection where they've always got like i mean okay look at like a band like um those some of the ones you brought up like ween you know what uh-huh. i mean like there's a super dedicated i mean people that love that band love that band yep like they are the band um primus is like that too right similar right. kind of weird quirky songwriting style unique sound you know so it's almost like they're a more accessible pop oriented version of those kinds of bands but almost because of that accessibility maybe that complete theory i'm pulling on my ass but maybe that's another reason why you don't get that like hardcore passionate reaction because it is a little bit more friendly and less Mm -hmm. difficult than some of those bands I just mentioned. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think you had it, you said it best when earlier, like this is a perfect example of a sophomore slump. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't have a, a ton of time to record it. They had to go back and re-record a bunch of older songs to, to make, instead of making it a nine or 10 song album in order to extend it out to 14 songs, you know, maybe this would work better if it was a 10 song album or a nine song album. Maybe that's the problem is that it, it just wears out its welcome by the end. And if it was just like nine killer tracks, uh, that would that maybe would have helped save it a little bit because it's definitely just not up to par in terms of, you know, I, I would say that other than like maybe th- two or three songs, there's nothing on par with the first album in terms of, you know, not only was there Lump and Peaches, but Kitty was a single and I think Dune Buggy with another single so i mean they had a number of singles off that first record i I looked at it lump actually went to number one i mean that was a huge song it it was like uh uh i remember when that was big you're like okay you're never we're never gonna hear from this band again right and then the next single came out and it was basically the same kind of song with just you know it was obviously them you're like wow okay they did it again and then the third one came out you're like holy shit they did it again (laughs) right like you know same thing again so they seemed yeah. like the band that should have been a one-hit wonder and we've talked about bands you know well it's you know their follow-up didn't do as well as their first record because the first record had charting singles most of those bands did not have number one singles they had top 10 top 20 singles but a lot of those bands never made to number one which is you know a pretty big deal not many bands True. do 
Jay, let's talk about our overall ratings for this record. Were the album better EP or a decent single? Where do you land? Uh, you know where I'm at. I'm at an EP. Okay. EP, baby. About how many songs uh, on your EP? Six. I got Ladies and Gentlemen, Part 1 and 2, Lunatic to Love, Volcano, Mach 5, Bath of Fire. Okay. I would add Tube Amplifier. I do like that song. And I think in the context of an EP, I think it would sound fine. In the context yeah. of this album where you're saying like, oh, it sounds like they just ran out of ideas. Yeah, because you're a track, what, 11? Oh, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. But if you put it on like a six-song EP, no, it just becomes another quirky song. I kind of wish they had sung about every aspect of their of their instruments. Like, I got this boss distortion pedal. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, got this monster cable. Uh, that would have been fun. Or go around the recording hey, studio. I got Isn't this Neve how, uh, console. Sia uh, Sia or whatever her name is, isn't that how she writes songs? Is that how she does it? She she was on Howard Stern talking about it and it sort of hit me when she was talking about her songwriting. It was very much like that. Like pick a thing and then make a like a metaphor for it and then just continue to create metaphors around it and you've got a song. So like wrecking ball. Like what does a wrecking ball do? It swings back and forth, it destroys things. It, like you just start riffing on that. The next thing you know, it's like, Hey, there's a song and the more metaphors you can make to like relationships, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. Everything is, if you can it, make it a metaphor for a relationship. Yeah. Pick another object, a, a light bulb, a light switch. Okay. Right. A light, we're, <laughs> a, a live song, a metaphor with a light switch. There you go. Jay, we're going to start a songwriting duo team uh, for, you know, the ghost right. Hot, uh, pop hits for uh, artists. <laughs> we're just gonna. When I heard her explain it, I was like, "Oh my god, that's both brilliant and depressing." Yeah, I got this uh, Western Digital uh, external hard drive, Jay. So let's write a song about that. <laughs> hard drive. Yeah, hard drive. Oh there man, <laughs> that's so easy. Let's see. Okay. So. We'll salt to kiss. Yeah, we'll salt to kiss. Uh, song. Oh, I, I, I can hear it. I could totally write Gene Simmons' voice. <laughs> See, throw in, you know, throw in some uh, crude innuendo, and there you go. Perfect. Couple, couple, yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. We need to thank our Patreon patrons who have been with us, you know, this year and have helped us pick albums. We really appreciate. Them doing so, and you can join us over at Patreon. That's patreon.com, patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Buck a month, 250. Those are your options. Uh, we've uh, got more, more in store, not just for this year, but for next year. Lots of cool things in the works, which you'll find out at Patreon. And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Jay, our first review of, or our first episode of December 2016 is here. The year is almost over, which means in just a few episodes, it will be our year-end roundup for 2016. Our sixth annual year-end roundup. Crazy. Nice. What do I got to do? 
Um, I'll send you. I'll send you your your book report that you have to complete. Okay. (laughs) I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need Uh, three thousand words on. uh, Oh no! Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash digmeout or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. A new Big Bertha driver. Now I'm gonna hit a big one. Three hundred yards. It's Trump. It's Trump. It's Trump. <laughs> what? He's in my head. Um.